Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome back, everyone. We are uh, with uh, Pastor Phelps once again in the studio, and Matt Barfield, and of course myself. Hello. And um, we are going to be working through uh, Pastor's second lesson on our Connecting to Our Core ABF series as we talk about the important question of what should regulate our worship. Um, Pastor, you say here in the opening, uh, the rapidly swelling numbers of unchurched people may be forcing existing churches, uh, well, you don't say this, (laughs) the Parna Group says this, uh, that the rapidly swelling numbers of unchurched people may be forcing existing churches to reinvent their core spiritual practices while holding tightly to their core spiritual beliefs. Uh, What's your take on that? So that's George Barna and the Barna Group, and what he's saying is, hold on to your orthodoxy, but you better change the way you do what you do. And he fails to understand that orthodoxy has worked out in orthopraxy. So what you are on the inside is going to be demonstrated as to who you are on the outside. And so what Barna is looking at, and I think it's very fatalistic, I think it's very wrong-focused, uh, is, oh, wow, look, not as many people are going to church. We better do church different. And so there's a quick compulsion to do church in a different fashion, have a different worship, and almost not realizing that even the lost people understand that there's a bait and switch going on. Oh, they're trying to entertain us to get us to come to church. So it's going to be a rock concert. It's going to be a, you know, a sight and sound show, and I'm going to come and have my felt needs met. But when we gather together with believers for worship, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about giving glory to God. And when God's people gather in the church, we come under the responsibility of be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. We come under the responsibility, Hebrews chapter 12 says, that we are those who serve, and the word there, lutreo, means to worship. Uh, we are those who worship with reverence and godly fear, right. for our God is a consuming fire. So if you're coming with a casual mindset and a casual approach and a contemporary vibe, uh, you've forgotten the mandates of scripture and when that's gone the power of god is gone and so why would the community want to participate so it's it's very fatalistic very um, downward trend of saying oh people aren't coming to church let's give them more of what they want rather than oh people aren't coming to church maybe we've lost the power of god because we're not doing what god wants it seems like there's a very high tolerance for this kind of thinking that people when they hear this reasoning of barna Okay, let's let's keep our beliefs, let's keep what we believe, keep our doctrine, but let's be flexible on on these practices, on these things that we do. When people hear that, it really has an appeal to reason or to common culture right now, the, the popular culture. Um, is it because is it because we're just so used to giving into our culture that we just say, okay, we give into our culture in our entertainment, we give into our culture in our priorities, let's just give into our culture in our church service. Is that where that comes from? I have no answer to all of that. I think the leadership of our churches has let us down radically in America. As we were talking about before the podcast, we've always had religious infidels, people yeah. who deny cardinal doctrines. But today we have uh, people who say they hold to cardinal doctrines, but the practice of what they're doing is not in keeping with a reverential tone, which is exactly how Hebrews chapter 12 ends, that our worship ought to be with reverence to a God who is a consuming fire. So I think people have just basically gotten away from the question, how does God respond to what we're offering him when we say we're focusing on him to worship? I've noticed for a while, and I mentioned in my preaching, that that it seems like uh, we have gotten very comfortable with 
signing a doctoral statement that we know looks right. It checks off all the right boxes and we put our name to it. Yes, I believe this, but we're more or less comfortable with that not affecting our day-to-day life. Like I can believe these things without it changing what I do. And I think you would agree that if you believe these things, it's going to change what you do, particularly when it comes to church practices. Absolutely. There's a, I was just recently in a workshop that was talking about something that's often referred to as the new Calvinists. And the idea is that these are people who hold very strongly to, to, you know, intense Calvinist doctrine, you know, the five points and all that. And yet, they're okay in their personal lives with there being a much more of an openness to the culture and to the entertainment of the world, and that there's just kind of this interesting dichotomy. These are people who are living in a way that if John Calvin showed up, (laughs) he would be shocked. But there does seem to be this growing vibe of, as long as I believe all the right things, uh, the practice and and how I live out is is disconnected from that. They don't really see a connection there. I, I, I was telling Matt, I heard one preacher once who uh, illustrated this way. He had he started off. He said, "You know the problem." He, he said, you, "You have two hands. One hand is uh, your theology. One hand is your practice. The problem with the liberals is that both hands are open. Right? They'll get they'll change their theology. They'll change their practice." And then he actually said, "You know the problem with the fundamentalists is both hands are closed. They're not going to change their theology. They're not going to change their practice." And he said, "We try and have one hand closed, one hand open. We we don't change on our theology, but our practice. You know, we can we can change that and adjust that and shift that as we need." And it's just interesting, even, I think I was in college when I heard that, and even as a college student, I thought there, I sat there and I thought to myself, but you, you can't do that because the two hands are connected. They're not, you know, he's setting up this great dichotomy where you have theology on one side, and you have practice on the other, and there's almost an, an unbridgeable chasm between the two. They don't, they don't really intersect, at least in that illustration. What you believe affects what you do. Yeah. And if you believe that God is holy, and if you believe that God is, is to be feared, and you believe that God is mighty, and that God is serious, uh, it's going to affect how you gather with God's people. It's going to affect what your expectations are in a worship service. So uh, I would contend that a lot of people say they believe one thing, but their practice totally denies that belief. Hmm. And that illustration really makes uh, a biblical fundamentalist sound like this this very inflexible or very um, impractical kind of person. And as someone who's worked in missions, I've found that not to be true. Um, you know, we, we work with people over the Middle East who do things slightly differently than we do, but they have a biblical reason for it. We were talking about one of our brothers in the Middle East who, um, in their church, the ladies will cover their head when they pray. And so we've talked about that issue. We, we don't have a problem with that. We don't do that. We know why we don't do that. Um, when some of our Eastern European friends came to, to our church, they didn't see us standing for prayer. And they thought, what's wrong with these people? Aren't they reverent to God? Why aren't they standing for prayer? Every time there's prayer said in the church they came from, everyone stood up every time. And so there are certain things like that, that we don't, you know, we are, we are open to other cultural type things, but we're not open to the world. And, and we were talking a little bit about the beforehand about the difference between uh, somebody's culture, seeing something different, even in scripture, we see examples like that in Corinth, but, but we're not open to the world, no matter what we're always saying no to the zeitgeist. We're always saying no to the spirit of the age but we're open to understanding things through, you know, human eyes and different cultures. That makes sense, right? Yes. It's not really what I was teaching Sunday at all, but, <laughs> but if it's important to you, Matt, it makes sense. <laughs> well, I just, I, I want to make sure people know that we're not, you know, Christians, Christians are not fundamental. Christians are not people who just like to say no to stuff. That's not what we are. We're just, we, we love the word of God and, and that resonates across different culturals, different cultural yes. barriers that do things slightly differently. And we can get along with that. Great. I, I love going over to cop's place. I'll even put on his long G. 
You know, that uh, yeah. nice man's wraparound skirt. Don't, not a problem. I don't wear that here. Should I say that on air? Maybe <laughs> I shouldn't say that on air, Pastor. But there's cultural things that we do that are different. And, and there are things that still pertain to men in, in Myanmar, pertain to women. And there's a difference. And we, I, we recognize that. But um, I don't think we're as inflexible as some of these people make us sound. Well, I did mention yesterday that, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 96 that we're to worship God in a spirit of, of uh, or, or in, in a beauty. And the word beauty there uh, is translated, I think it's New American Standard Version, says in um, the right attire. Mm. Mm. And the point that I made yesterday was, hey, we're not wearing powdered wigs today. I'm not wearing uh, tails. Right. I don't have the, uh, the French um, neckwear that was worn in the uh, 17th and 18th century. So obviously we're going to be willing to change styles right now. Seems like the absence of a necktie is increasingly pervasive. I'm okay with that. But Amen. there needs to be <laughs> there needs to be a recognition within culture that there is an appropriateness mm-hmm. to the occasion, and there's no higher occasion that draws us together than the occasion of rejoicing in the resurrection of the Savior, looking forward to His coming and studying His Word. Amen. As Amen. we worship, that's really good. Um, we'll move on to the next section uh, here. That was just the first page. Wow. Um, <laughs> as we think about uh, the risks of wrong worship and you know, you mentioned that you you get these from uh, Reamer's book, "The Glory Do His Name," and uh, I had to go through this in college and found it to be very helpful as well. And he he goes through several Old Testament examples and shows that God rejects worship that is based on imitation, innovation, um, imagination, and that is uh, designed for uh, convenience. And so uh, we'll just kind of uh, tick through these as as quickly as we can. First one there: God does not desire worship that is based on imagination. And uh, you talk here about um, the fact that the the golden calf was something that really came from 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 Aaron, right? There's there's not anything. Obviously, they were told don't don't make an idol, and so um, uh, the the point that was made here is that um, this ox that or this calf that was made was strong. It was beneficial. It was out of sight until it was needed. And um, you say here at the end, man's imagination consistently devises a god of convenience and not a god desiring. Commitment. The characteristic of displeasing worship is displayed by many who profess to know Christ, but find little time to practice their religion. What are some ways that that uh, plays out in people's life where they they desire a God of convenience and not a, a God of commitment? Well, we're seeing it. You know, right now we referenced the Barna study where fewer and fewer people are connecting by way of membership, which would demonstrate commitment to churches in America. Uh, so there's a, a, there are a lot of professing believers who like to come and get what they need, so to speak, and, and live stream is fed into that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if church is a true community, there needs to be true connectedness. There needs to be one another, as we spoke of last time. And so, yeah, um, the, the big message there in the golden calf was, uh, you'll recall Aaron said, uh, tomorrow's a feast unto the Lord, to Jehovah. Yeah. With a golden calf there, they were worshiping the right God the wrong way. And that can be our problem, too. We can gather together as a church, um, professing church, and declare that this is a worship service. Um, I think today about a modern um, invention to a worship service, and it's innovative. That's one of the points that's being made. Who would have thought 50 years ago of anything called interpretive dancing being an added blessing Mm. to a worship service? Absolutely unimaginable. But today, that's come to be acceptable. Why? Uh, because we're worshiping the right God the wrong way. 
It's um, as you were drawing that out, Ben, from this section, I guess it hadn't really occurred to me that sometimes people in our very secular age or very materialistic age, they think spiritual equals imaginary, right? So we're just dealing with things that are just kind of made up. And so if this makes you feel good, spiritual is imaginary, just kind of run that way. Uh, but, but spiritual isn't imaginary. Spiritual is real, right? We can't see it, but it's real. And God's revealed it to us in his word. And when you butt up against that reality, you find out how real it is. Um, people that get dealt with as God deals with them in justice find out that God's very real. He's not imaginary at all. We don't get to make them what we want. No, and specific to the topic of worship, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Mm. So we have a true standard. We have uh, that which is necessary for faith and practice. So back to uh, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, uh, our faith is grounded in God's word, and our practice ought to reflect the principles that are found there. I think um, that story with the golden calf is especially instructive too, along the lines of when we when we start adopting the worship styles and patterns of the world, it's really not all that surprising when our behavior starts to line up with the world. You know, you have um, you know this really awful story in Exodus 32 where the people you know sat down to worship and rose up to play, and, and an allusion there to immorality uh, taking place among the people of God, and you know it. It, it kind of follows that here Aaron is bringing in the worship style of the world, and what happens is that the the behavior of the world then flows out of that. And, you know, as we have a church that's increasingly adopting the thinking of the world and the culture of the world and the attitude of the world, you know, the result is going to be that w- when we don't when we don't focus on God and on, on who he is, and instead we allow our own imagination to, to devise uh, new forms of worship, that, that our behavior is going to follow that. And that's I think you know, part of the reason why worship is so so important to get right because uh, wrong worship is going to lead to wrong behavior. Exactly right. And I was in a conversation last week, had a visit with a fellow that uh, has recently attended our church and is just really excited to be part of Colonial. His testimony was fascinating. Uh, he, after high school, got involved with uh, wrong friends and uh, wrong habits, ended up uh, homeless on the street, involved in the drug culture, um, just really, really a, a, a challenging time. Came to know Christ as Savior, and he and his wife are looking for a church family uh, recently here in Indianapolis. They visited a church that a neighbor recommended, and he said, we went in, it was dark, the music was loud, uh, the lights were bright. He said, I just thought, I'm back where I was. Mm. I don't want that. Mm. It, was, it was so obvious to him, this is what I left, that he's so thankful to be in a place uh, where at Colonial we come together, and it's not about identifying with the world. It's something very different, and and I think that's a necessary thing within our culture. Uh, our goal is not to be like the world. It's interesting as you see this continued growth and focus on um, the music of the of the contemporary services, the uh, the the th- everything before the preaching, how mm-hmm. the preaching is becoming diminished. Uh, it's it's becoming anemic. Uh, those who uh, study such things say, you know, short's best, and not just short, but, you know, it has to be uh, relevant. And um, so people who attend such services and then come to Colonial say, wow, you guys really get into the Bible. It's almost like strikingly different. But don't don't forget, the Bible tells us, how will they hear without a preacher? And um, making much of preaching God's word in our generation ought to be our responsibility within that worship service. 
So simultaneous to the growth and development of all these things that would come under an entertainment heading when it comes to the real edifying part of a church service where the soul is being edified and God's being glorified as his word is being shared, that's being diminished. Mm. And so we see <laughs> a challenge in our culture. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. They're looking to the 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 uh, singing and you know that that portion that's really designed to to be a, a gift to God as something to build people up, and then they're diminishing the the part of the service that is actually designed to encourage and equip and challenge and and be a help to the people. Right. Hmm. Um, as as we move on, the next point here: God does not desire worship based on innovation. Using the example of Nadab and Abihu, who thought, you know, oh, let's let's kind of, you know, we've got this formula for incense. Let's kind of tweak this a little bit and see what comes out, and ends up offering strange fire, and uh, God kills them for it. And um, I, I was curious what um, how some of this would play out. So, it, what innovation would we say is acceptable, and what innovation is unacceptable? At one point, a church building was an innovation. At one point, the pew was an innovation. At one point, the hymnal was an innovation, or the PowerPoint. So, what innovate? How would you distinguish between helpful innovations and innovations that? Um, would strike at the core of what we're trying to do. So I would totally disagree with what your first premise was. A okay. building was never an innovation for worship. Um, a dedicated space, because originally they met in homes, and then eventually there was an innovation that says, well, let's Well, they meet. met in homes because they didn't have the political ability, the freedom to build buildings. Right. Um, so you know there was a pragmatic purpose for meeting in homes, and there was never a prohibition for building a church facility. Now, I would agree you can have, um, if a church building is built in a Gothic style so that you know, all of the features are focused heavenward and the stained glass is to uh, cause you to see God's beauty. That, you know, at that point, whoa, whoa, time out. And there have been the whole iconoclastic debates over mm-hmm. can we use and, and you know, uh, see art as part of our worship. So that, that would fit in this category for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when we talk about this, we're talking really about the, the challenge that came uh, with the reformers what will we allow? What will we disallow? And the, and the fundamental answer is, well, what does the Scripture say? Uh, sola Scriptura. And so you have the debate between the regulative principle and the normative principle. And the normative principle basically says, if God's Word doesn't forbid it, go for it. And the regulative principle says, no, when it comes to our worship, we only do what God's Word says. So when you look in the New Testament, what are the elements of worship? Well, the elements of worship include prayer, singing, making a joyful noise to the Lord, preaching God's word, uh, we're to do the, the preachment of God's word. Uh, I would include in this also giving uh, for on the first day of the week, let everyone lay by in store as God has prospered him. And then finally, uh, I would include in the elements of worship, uh, the Lord's table, do this in remembrance of me. So anything outside of that, we start saying, oh, oh, oh time out. Uh, mm-hmm. These are the elements of worship. The place doesn't really matter. You could, you could have a worship service in a home that would be highly decorative, uh, using icons, if you will, to try to stimulate worship, scents or candles or lights or any number of things, and be doing the same thing that could happen in a larger building that's dedicated to a church, mm-hmm. called a church. Um, I don't think the building matters. I think it's what elements do you consider to be part of fulfilling the New Testament obligations with regard to when God's people gather? So there's there's room for innovation even within better accomplishing that, whether it be like using a microphone so that people can hear the preaching better or using a hymnal so that people can follow the singing better. But what you're saying is those, because some people might hear there's no innovation and say, okay, our services need to look exactly like they did in the New Testament. 
And what you're saying is we need to have all of those elements of worship and those elements don't change, even though we may, okay, we can use microphones. Someone might look at that and say that's innovation. We'd say that's not really what we're talking about. That's right. We're talking about these five core elements that we find in the New Testament. Correct. Don't add to that. Gotcha. So these these are the matters where we're saying these particular elements are the regulative elements of our worship and should not be added to. So innovation, for instance, Right now, we're taking communion with plastic cups that we peel. You know, we peel part off. Someone that's not say, innovation, yeah. Pastor. That's a. <laughs> it's not. That's devolving. Okay. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in our in a in a discussion of this matter, no, it's not innovation uh, any more than well, they used to break it, you know, at the communion table and pass it out by hand. Right. And everybody drank out of a common cup. You know, we're, we're we're not talking. That's not innovation. But when you add something to it, when you add, okay, this is the time when we're going to light the incense. Or this is the time when we're going to, you know, have the interpretive dance. Or this is the time when we're going to, and, and just it just builds up. Mm-hmm. I would say that parallels what Nadab and Abihu's error was. Yeah. When I think about um, the 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 importance of this, having a strong church that's built on the strong core, that provides the platform for missions, which I think is innovation in its right place. When we look out and we see people who don't have the gospel, and we figure out a way to go get it to them, right? We figure out some way. So that innovative energy, if somebody's listening to this and you're, you're innovative, I'm kind of an innovator, you know, working with IPM, with, with foreign nationals, and then helping to start the Next Door Nations Project and all these kinds of things. Like, I love to think of new ways to incorporate people into this core, right? I don't, uh, we're not going to change the core, but we want to do these exciting things in the right place from the overflow of that correct core, from the overflow of having a strong local church. And we can say uh, also re- reducing, for instance, if you come to a, a worship service and no one prays, you come to a worship service and no one sings, the reduction is also disobedience. Sure. Mm. So it's not just the addition, it's also the reduction. That's good. Um, one other uh, quick question here as we kind of wrap things up. And I just wanted to get your take on this. But uh, near the end, we talk about the requirements of worship, and you give those five ingredients, which we've just gone over and we'll probably be talking about in the coming weeks as well. But you say this here as well. The church gathers on the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, in recognition of the Lord's resurrection. What would you say to uh, believers that would say, you know, we don't necessarily have to meet on Sunday? I know that's something that, again, some of the contemporary churches are doing, you know, Saturday night services and things like that. Um, What's your perspective on that? Isn't it interesting that um, we we speak of contemporary and people talking about you know identifying with Jonathan Edwards and identifying as Calvinist and wanting to go back and uh, hold on tenaciously to some measure of history that they are fascinated by or glory in? Well, hello, for 2,000 years, two millennia, the Christian community has made it a practice of Sunday morning worship. Mm. They've called it the Lord's Day. In, in the book of the Revelation, the last New Testament book written, uh, the Apostle John clearly says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, there was a, a moniker given to that day. There was mm-hmm. a practice that has been established for two millennia. So the very people often who say, oh, I'm really rejoicing in, you know, Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy, and, and I'm really into Calvinism because John Calvin was way cool, um, come back with, well, what's wrong with Saturday night? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. But look around. That's probably the most historic statement within culture uh, around the globe. Um, I think it was Dodd years ago who was a, a professor and, and a spokesman for the Christian religion who said, we're an alien to come from any other planet. One of the greatest testimonies 
of the fact that Christ lived, died, and rose again would be seeing people around the planet all doing something different on Sunday. Hmm. And that, that's true. And even in cultures that aren't Christian, Sunday is a day off or a different day. Well, I saw it so importantly in the Middle East where our weekends are Friday and Saturday. Yes. Um, and Christians made you know, difficult decisions. It wasn't easy. You're right. surrounded by a Muslim country, Muslim culture, and uh, you tell everybody, I'm not going to work at this time, or I'm not going to do this or that. Some of the churches had evening services, but it was Sunday was the day, right. to, or is the day, to and, come together in the Middle East against all kinds of opposition. Well, Sunday for the Middle East is like our Monday. It's a work day. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're a Christian and you say, I want to gather on Sunday, like you said, the concession may be Sunday evening. Uh, that's that's great. But you're still recognizing the resurrection. The disciples saw the Savior on Sunday evening. Yeah. And some of our Christian business owners, I can tell you that the, the Christian business owners in the Middle East will often take the really risky move of closing Sunday. They'll, they'll close Friday. They'll open Saturday. They'll close Sunday. Uh, it's, it's a it, Chick-fil-A mm, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chick-fil-A go. across I mean, the world. That's right. All right. Well, thank you, um, Pastor Phelps, for coming and sharing with us a little bit. I think I'll just close uh, with this quote at the very end, which I thought was was uh, really good from uh, John MacArthur's book, Worship the Ultimate Priority. Uh, MacArthur states, When the church comes together on the Lord's Day, it is no time to entertain the lost, amuse the brethren, or otherwise cater to the felt needs of those in attendance. Uh, this is when we should bow before our God as a congregation and honor him uh, with our worship. So thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. See ya. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.